Hi, my name is John Gonzalez, and welcome to the Fitness Oracle. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about the secret of how to drop 10 to 15 pounds and keep it off with complete ease. I've created a free three-part video series for you that explains what the three biggest mistakes people make when they're working out and limits them to the results that they're going after. I am also going to help you get all the details about how you can immediately sign up to the 21-Day Caveman Challenge, which is a do-it-for-you workout program. This has been developed by me for over 11 years of my experience as a professional personal trainer. So go ahead, put in your name and your primary email address, click the link in the show notes below right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people just like you, with real stories just like yours, and this is one of their stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Matthew Lennon from Matthew Lennon Healer and his aide, Grace Weston. Matthew is an Irish healer who has inherited a family gift that provides an alternative and complementary therapy for both humans and animals through the use of herbs, prayer, and laying of hands. He is currently the only member of his family who can use this special gift, special and rare gift, and will be passing it on to another family member. Through this gift, he has been able to help hundreds and and thousands of people with different types of ailments. Matthew and Grace, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Uh, so how was the uh, the online event that you guys had last weekend? I know I listened to it. Uh, I listened to the recording after because I was uh, kind of doing other stuff. And for me personally, it helped, it helped me with stuff that I never re- actually realized I had. But uh, in general, how was that for you guys? I suppose that's how uh, holistic type healing works. Divine healing, it's like... Uh, an adaptogen, it goes to the areas that need healing most. And maybe in your own case, uh, you felt uh, the energy or the healing or the benefits afterwards. We get testimonials from across the world uh, describing the same type of feelings and the same type of uh, effects, perhaps, depending on the uh, nature of the illness. Uh, We often have people with headaches or uh, with colds or flus or uh, those with serious illness uh, sending uh, and uh, giving their testimony about how they improved after the session. Now, this, I suppose, is not... Uh, applicable to everyone because uh, everyone has a different mindset perhaps about the healing and uh, about themselves particularly and we always advise uh, during our sessions uh, that people address uh, their own health issues instead of 
taking junk and uh, what have you, we always uh, advise that they should uh, address their diet and uh, take uh, sensible food and uh, drink uh, sensibly. And of course, uh, on the other hand, we get uh, people who want to make a challenge and say, look, if you can heal me, then I don't believe in what you're doing, but if you can heal me, then uh, I'll believe in it. And I say, well, you're just wasting your time. If you went to your doctor or your psychiatrist or whatever with the same uh, type of attitude, he'd probably open the door and let you out as quickly as he possibly could. And, uh, you know, these are uh, just uh, odd cases that we're confronted with. Mm -hmm. How are you guys? Sorry, go um, ahead. Yes, uh, okay. And, you know, most other people are willing to work with us. And, uh, you know, they're willing to uh, maybe improve their health, whether it's emotional, psychological, physical, or whatever. Uh, and uh, we treat all illnesses. Cool. How are you guys? A, yeah, open day. It's amazing. We probably had 30,000 tune in overall. Um, we would get many texts afterwards to say that the family tuned in. So the before <coughs> of the family would actually sit and watch the video yeah. um, or the live uh, healing session with Matthew. But it's amazing to think that he can treat so many people across the world with different conditions. Everybody has something different or everybody wants something different from, from his healing session. So to be able to do that is incredible. There's in some cases a misinterpretation about uh, the healing. People say, oh, Matthew, you healed uh, my uh, sore thumb or you healed my stomach or you healed, uh, but this is not true. I'm just a channel. I mean, I couldn't uh, have 30,000 people focus on me specifically and uh, be in a position to be able to uh, heal everyone. This is a divine healing gift. I am the channel or the connection to that divine. Well, you touched up on something, you both touched up some, on something that I wanted to get onto later on in the show um, because I totally, I totally believe you two that it's, it's not usually the healer that has to do the healing. It's the person, the individual themselves that has to be a open to being healed and understanding that they are the vessel that actually does the healing. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. And uh, the uh, divine connection here. Uh, is obviously instrumental in bringing about the uh, healing together with the person's good intentions, with the intentions, their own intentions, to improve and to get better and to clear the disease or whatever. Absolutely. How are you guys enjoying Poland? Yes, it's minus four. We prefer uh, a plus 26 or 28, but look... <laughs> 
uh, it's taken, uh, we're doing a foundation here <laughs> and uh, we have it over the line together with uh, uh, the healing center. So it's taken a lot longer than we anticipated with uh, accountants and lawyers and courts and what have you, but we're delighted to be uh, in a position to have uh, the uh, foundation across the line. Cool. Have you guys decided uh, where you're going to spend the winter? Uh, well, it, it really depends on COVID. We're restricted here at the moment, and uh, obviously uh, we have to work within the framework of the uh, um, uh, pandemic or whatever. So it just means that uh, we maybe have to stay a little bit longer than we anticipated. But look, we just go with the flow on that. Cool. Um, let's shift gears a little bit and let's get into your orange, your origins, Matthew. Uh, when did you find out about your healing gifts? Well, healing is passed on. Uh, it's passed on from male to female uh, on the same basis as maybe the old Eastern philosophies uh, in that we have the yin and the yang, the positive and the negative, the male and the female. So uh, healing gifts are passed on uh, from uh, in families from uh, male to female, female to male. And in this way, I'm sure that the gift multiplies itself or gains power. Uh, because of that process. Some of the uh, old uh, methods of healing goes back, I suppose, to the um, biblical times and before. Um, and so uh, I'm sure that uh, in our families, uh, the uh, male-female action uh, probably uh, multiplies or exacerbates the, uh, the gift. Uh, and so uh, for, for me, I find it very, very easy to work with people to make my own diagnosis of a person's uh, illness, uh, and this is part of uh, the, I suppose, part of my work or part of the tools that I have to do the job I do. In other words, someone might uh, come to me and say, look, I have a problem here with uh, my hearing and, um, you know, uh, in some cases, uh, that problem maybe uh, the hearing may just be the manifestation of the problem. It may be that there's a liver problem or a kidney or whatever that's uh, causing the actual uh, uh, problem itself. And so uh, my work would uh, direct me, if you like, to uh, the areas that uh, needed uh, to be worked on. And uh, in some cases, I suppose, uh, in Russia, uh, they have uh, or uh, are designing or working on 
uh, a means of photography like current photography, which photographs the aura. The aura is an electromagnetic sheet that surrounds the body and gives off uh, radiation. And like MRI or um, uh, scanning, uh, the aura can tell its own story. The story of the function and malfunction of the organ. A diseased organ, for example, will show up on a screen as dark or gray, where a healthy organ will show its true colors. Colors being the manifestation uh, of the vibrations that are coming from that organ or organs. And so I think uh, Kerlin Photography, and maybe there are others around the world that are practicing this type of um, uh, scanning or reading, uh, which I think uh, if um, uh, if it could be uh, maybe on par with uh, MRI or what have you, or developed fully, then it could be a very, very useful instrument to those doctors or people, uh, health practitioners, who couldn't do the same as I do. Um, I can, uh, you know, detect uh, a malfunction anywhere in the body. And this is just a, a sensitivity uh, that I have. It's, uh, some people would call it a sixth sense. Others would call it a gut feeling. Hundreds and perhaps thousands of people across the world can do this. Mm -hmm. To do it together with healing uh, is, uh, takes a lot of time uh, and uh, a lot of work, a lot of dedication and what have you. I enjoy what I do. I do it just uh, the same as I walk down the streets. Uh, if someone confronts me with a serious problem, uh, I'm comfortable to be able to tune in with that uh, problem or with that person and make my own diagnosis. I don't do this for uh, read uh, auras or give readings about uh, the future or anything like that. Nothing to do with that. This is a special gift that is needed in order to do my work. And I use it every day, hundreds and hundreds of times every day. And Gracie will perhaps be able to confirm what I say here. Uh, I often uh, see uh, someone walk in the door and uh, I'm able to make my own diagnosis virtually instantly. instantly. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to get into Gracie's uh, story because it's such a fascinating story that this is one of the stories that actually pulled me to speak to both of you. So we're going to get into that in just a little bit. Sure. So um, my next question would be, so this is a taught, this is a taught gift that you can teach to another generation and when would be the prime time to teach this gift to uh, the next person? 
<coughs> well, uh, I'm not so sure about times here. Um, uh, I suppose I'm only heading for 80, uh, and <laughs> maybe now is as good a time as any in order to pass it along, but the person has to be ready to do it. Someone has to decide that uh, they're ready to uh, use this gift and take all of this on board and uh, you know, it's uh, a huge workload. Uh, it's literally 24 hours a day. We got text even uh, last night uh, to say, uh, to help someone who'd fallen down the stairs. Uh, someone else uh, had a serious accident and this is in the middle of the night and people text and, and what have you and uh, I do my little bit whenever I can. Very cool. But, of course, uh, the serious part of all this is our phones are on 24-7. Now, because our phones have been compromised over the past number uh, of uh, weeks or months or, or uh, whatever, uh, we're, um, I suppose, uh, not able to do as much work as we would uh, normally have done in the past in this capacity. Um, we've worked with hospitals, in hospitals, clinics across the world, across uh, Ireland, and uh, we're quite uh, well known uh, from uh, north to south and east to west, uh, where we've seen and worked with hundreds and hundreds of people over the years. So your question is, when is a good time uh, to pass it on? Well, uh, now that you've uh, asked the question and I'm thinking about, uh, look, I'm uh, heading for 80. Maybe There's I need to life in uh, have to search a little bit and see who's going to take all of this on board. So. Okay, well, fair enough. Who was the first person that you actually helped? Oh, well, that's strange and difficult to answer because uh, we have um, uh, old uh, traditional type healers in Ireland for hundreds and hundreds of years. Some would be able to cure warts, ringworms, uh, stop bleeding and uh, all of that. And uh, look it's very, very difficult to say uh, who the first would be because uh, in our uh, communities, uh, people would come along with maybe uh, something uh, simple, uh, maybe uh, like a, an ulcer or a, a wound that wouldn't heal. And uh, you, you work with it, you just... Uh, uh, do what you have to do and don't hear any more about it until maybe five years later. Oh, thank you, Matthew. Uh, you helped me with such a problem and your old uh, auntie was a great healer down in uh, the uh, middle of nowhere where she was a strange uh, old lady working with uh, herbs and uh, making strange uh, uh, 
uh, noises or praying or whatever. And so uh, that was the type of healing that was practiced in Ireland hundreds of years ago. And it worked. Uh, Yes, it did. Um, I'm a firm believer that uh, our ancient ancestors actually had more knowledge than we got. I know because I'm a ancient history buff. I love ancient history. And uh, when the ancient, um, ancient, when the library, when the great library in ancient Alexandria was burnt to the ground, I think we lost a lot of extreme knowledge. Well, I think that was intentional, wasn't it? I think so. I think the Christians at the time burnt it to the ground. Yeah, and they didn't want the teachings to be passed on. Which is a shame. Uh, an absolute shame. But all hasn't been lost. There are people out there who have this information, and I am one of those. Uh, I may not uh, possess the uh, library uh, in question, but uh, I uh, have uh, an in-depth knowledge of the body, of the healing that it needs, and of the problems that people are confronted with. Mm-hmm. Whether it's hereditary, whether it's uh, uh, to do with lifestyle or, or whatever, <coughs> uh, it's part of my work to be able to make a little bit of uh, diagnosis. Uh, and in most cases, uh, you know, it's uh, it's actress. I'm instant, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Grace, you've had a very interesting journey throughout throughout this whole process. Talk us through your journey. Yeah, um, it's been a a bit of a life. All right. Um, I suppose I was super fit and healthy up until the age of eighteen. Um, I trained and played sport every day. So I played Gaelic football and camogie. And when I was 18, I developed shin splints. Um, do you know shin splints? Yes, I've had them before. Okay. Yeah, so I developed, unfortunately, an, ext- an extreme, uh, I suppose, form, in, yeah. Yeah, form of shin splints. And um, I was referred to a consultant. Um, who decided that I needed compartment syndrome operation on both legs to be able to get back playing sport. Um, so I suppose I'm what you call I was sport obsessed or sport mad at that point in my life. And that's all I wanted to do. And my whole life was focused on playing every day. And um, I decided to go with the operation because I thought I was going to be back as, as soon as possible. They gave me three months after the operation to be back playing at a high level. And um, that didn't really happen. Um, I struggled. I went in perfectly healthy into that operation. And I suppose in simple terms, I came out a different different girl. Different girl as in? Everything became a struggle. So when you're told to do, um, I suppose, a rehabilitation program, you know, you just have to walk or exercise and and build yourself up and get back playing. But unfortunately at the time, 
I wasn't actually told to do much physio, but I did my own walking when I could and to get back jogging. So they just gave me a time scale. And unfortunately, after three months, I still wasn't back jogging. I had extreme pain in my legs and then this had spread throughout my body. I then developed stomach problems and kidney problems after the operation. And they thought I actually had, uh, they told me they found a tumor on my kidneys, which in turn, they told me it ended up being an artifact on the machine is what they thought after a week of investigations and being told that there was a tumor there. So, so uh, no, keep going, keep going, sorry. So I was sent home at a hospital not knowing what was actually wrong or what had happened, how I had deteriorated so rapidly. Um, nobody was putting the illness or what had happened down to the procedure. That was really just my own opinion or my own family's thoughts on what was happening. Um, and then from there it escalated and I ended up on a roller coaster of different tests, different hospitals, different consultants around the country and abroad. So after I, after the kidney incident, I was actually diagnosed with uh, chronic kidney disease. Um, I was diagnosed with liver problems. They told me uh, I was going into liver failure, lung problems, um, stomach, bowel, and yeah, in and out of hospital um, a lot. Wow. Uh... And I was treated for most of those conditions and then they'd stop the treatment and then move on to a different condition. Um, so it was like that for a number of years. I um, was told it was all in my head to go see psychologists, yeah, blockage on my heart, my notes went missing, so it was a very long and painful journey. Painful journey. <clears throat> Can I just interject at this point and say here that uh, all the scans, and Gracie has all the details of the scans, or whatever, uh, and uh, each uh, one you were treated for. But there was no conclusive evidence as to what the actual diagnosis was at the time. It was, oh, this is for your liver, this treatment is going to be for your heart, this is for your kidneys, this is for your stomach, uh, and what have you. And I think the um, overall problem uh, from uh, the time you had the procedure for mm -hmm. compartment syndrome, it start, might have started there. And of course, hospitals and uh, institutions were uh, the uh, best place to pick up uh, MRSA, or... MRSA or C. diff or whatever. And uh, because uh, that wasn't maybe treated or uh, you had mutations in that direction that uh, that aspect of it may have been uh, overlooked. Yeah. Well, I suppose going back to the operation after the surgeon did it, and you go back to your follow-up appointment, he said everything was a success. But it really wasn't. It was, a, I suppose, a tick-the-box exercise for him. Yeah, surgery done, complete, another one. But it wasn't a success. And they don't actually do it anymore. So whether I was a guinea pig at the time, I'll never know, but uh, for me, it was the biggest mistake of my life. But that's 30 years later. 
uh, after the... Maybe it's not 30 years, uh, only 30 uh, years now. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, the procedure of compartment syndrome had been used for 30 years. Yeah. Uh, and is now uh, disbanded. Yeah, they physiotherapist, a friend of mine told me that they don't actually do day operation anymore. Mm -hmm. That it was never successful. But yet I was told after mine that it was. So I don't know if you're familiar with what they do, but they basically opened up both of my uh, legs, my shins, and they take the fascia that holds your calf muscle together and they removed both of them uh, on me. So that's what the actual operation is. But the fascia, from my understanding, and I have a very deep understanding when it comes to muscular, uh, musculoskeletal uh, uh, functions, the fascia is there to keep tension on the muscle in order to keep the joint yep. intact. Yes. And, so why uh, would you remove something that keeps... The, I, yeah, I have this whole thing with people that do the, this kind of stuff. I've never heard of this, uh, this procedure before, but when I hear people throw out terms like fascial, quote unquote, fascial stretching, I'm like, you can't stretch fascia. That's not designed for stretching. It's designed to have tension, to keep tension. But, uh, and it's not designed to be removed either. <laughs> no, it's not designed to be removed. I learned the hard way <laughs> and it destroyed my career, but you live and learn, I suppose. Um, so yeah, as Matthew was saying, lots of testing were done. Different consultants differed with their opinions on what they thought. One kidney consultant told me there was nothing wrong, even though um, I was retaining maybe two stone extra in body fluid. Um, and. I was with him for an appointment. He said there was nothing wrong. I go to the next renal consultant and then I'm diagnosed with chronic kidney disease. And how they diagnosed me was, you have the very same problem as Joe Noloma. Do you know the All Blacks rugby player? He's no. passed away since with uh, kidney disease. Um, so that's how they actually diagnosed me. Um, and I started on treatment for that. Then I was taken off all the treatment for that. And the cycle of testing began. So every time they would isolate, I think, something, whether it was my liver or my lungs, I would start treatment for that and move on. And it was never, I suppose, the whole picture. Yes. Yeah. And it um, was literally at one point, it was like going through the, the MIMS book and picking out... Um, maybe five different antibiotics and we'll trial these for a month. So I've had pick lines inserted just to trial antibiotics for a month to see would they make any difference. Mm -hmm. And um, I suppose my football, during this whole time, I would try and play the sport that I loved and I would play for a little while and then I'd be pulled back and stopped because they would have diagnosed me with a different condition and I'd have to start a treatment process for that uh, condition. And um, I eventually ended up with uh, Professor Austin Dara, who has since passed away. But when I met him, he told me that I had a thyroid problem straight away when I met him. It was literally like walking into Matthew from the time he seen me, he said, you definitely have something wrong with your thyroid. Now my thyroid had been tested for a number of years prior to that. 
And every time I was told my tire ride was perfect, but it actually wasn't. So my tire, I had reverse T3 is what it's called. So it was blocking the production of T4. And in turn, it was actually at that point shutting down all my organs. And nobody else knew this. Nobody else taught to check it. Um, yeah, and he actually stopped me from sport at that time because I was togged out and um, ready to play for my own local team. And I was really struggling in the warm up. And for the first time ever um, in a senior championship game, the referee didn't show up. And I met the consultant the following morning and he told me that if I had played that day, that I would have died on the field. I would have died of sudden death syndrome. Wow. Mm -hmm. We actually have, um, now I'm not, I'm not making a connection between your case and some other cases here in Toronto or in Canada in general. Um, in ice hockey, we have these uh, elite hockey players. Well, just before they become elite hockey players, though, like in, in the juniors and, uh, and, uh, and lower, um, they've actually sat down on the bench after their shift. And it's, I don't know if you guys are familiar with ice hockey. Yeah. yeah, you go full out for like a minute and a half. You mm -hmm. go back, sit on the bench for five minutes to recover, then back on. Yeah. And there have been cases where the players actually get back to the bench and die from heart attacks. Yeah. So I suppose I was lucky that that game did not go ahead that day. Because if it did, the same thing would have happened to me. And he maintained, um, now bear in mind, I had been with so many experts over six, seven years at this point, all given their own opinions and diagnosing me with something, um, but never looked at the thyroid properly at all or investigated it or never looked at the entire picture. And he started me on treatment, but straight away um, on his discussion, he maintained that most of the athletes that were dying of sudden death was due to the thyroid. It was causing the heart to stop. Huh. Maybe they should start looking at that. But they are. I believe now that uh, the uh, doctors are looking uh, at uh, thyroid function and malfunction in relation to sudden death uh, syndrome. And uh, I think uh, one of your, uh, was it your respiratory consultant or cardiologist mm -hmm. uh, wanted to um, come on TV with us? Yeah. Can you maybe tell John that uh, story? Uh, and uh, it's actually, uh, mm, I, I think the crux of uh, all of this is, is thyroid. Not alone did uh, Professor Austin Dara uh, diagnose it, uh, but uh, I think it's important that you also mm -hmm. uh, tell the story uh, about your mm -hmm. uh, consultant. Yeah, so Professor Dara, um, who has since passed, treated me or diagnosed me and treated me. Now, this gentleman was nearly 90 at this stage. He just took me on as a special case at home because nobody else in the country could figure out what was actually wrong with me. 
Um, but at the point that I had seen him, so many years had passed and I had done so many treatments and I was in organ failure at that stage. So um, he was actually in the middle of writing a book to educate all the doctors on the importance and the function of the thyroid. Um, but I don't think he actually got to complete the book. Um, I'm just not sure on that. But so his friend was the other consultant who took me over um, because he was in the, in a hospital. And he, he ran the anti-doping for the Olympics and he was head of um, different organizations. So he wanted to come on TV uh, in Ireland with us because um, there's somebody in Ireland that had a TV show and they wanted to tell my story and they wanted to be the first, uh, he wanted to be the first person to bring my story to light and share it. And he, the way he asked, would, he wanted to do it with myself, Matthew as the healer, and the consultant treating me uh, from the medical point of view. So we all agreed to, to take it on board and said, yes, if we have one other person, we've no problem doing it. Now the doctor had retired at this stage, the consultant, so he agreed to do it, but um, it was refused. The powers to be, or at be, would not let that uh, interview happen. They refused it even though they approached me um, to, to tell my story, but the higher powers to be refused to let it go. But I think your um, consultant at the time was shocked uh, to meet up with you and realize that you were still on the planet. Yeah, I suppose to go back uh, a step. Um, after I was diagnosed with the thyroid problem, um, I still wasn't getting any better because I'd been sick for so long and had done so many treatments. Um, I was continually on a downward slope and I was diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease as well and eight co-infections on top of this. And I started the treatment in Germany for that, which consisted of 28 tablets a day an IV every second day, which had to be actually sent over to Ireland to me from Germany because the treatment was so strong, I couldn't get it in Ireland. Wow. So my parents actually had to become, I suppose, learn to become nurses or medics for a month of a better term. They actually had to um, do the treatment. So they had to inject, learn how to inject the treatment into the pick lines and, and do it every second day for me. And they had to do the supervision. My health insurance, the consultant that I was with, didn't, my health insurance didn't cover the, it was the second highest level, but didn't cover the highest level. So for me to stay in hospital, it was 5,000 deposit and 1,500 euro a night bread and breakfast. <laughs> yeah, so. I opted to do it at home and, and they did it. But unfortunately, that treatment didn't work for me either. Um, I had to be stopped, stopped all treatment really. Um, and they gave me just a matter of time. So, so before that, yeah, that consultant wanted me to stop everything before my 30th birthday. We had a meeting with him and he called us in and I couldn't function hardly at this stage. So um, I was being linked around or carried from the bed to the bathroom. bathroom. Um, I suppose none of my 
functions or body functions are really working at this point. Um, my parents were, my mother was sleeping in the same bed as me in case I had a heart attack or died in, in the middle of the night. Um, I couldn't have food, wasn't able to eat anymore. I was down at maybe six stone, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, six stone. And I wouldn't have been able to have much of a conversation. So I remember clearly sitting in that room that day and my parents and the consultant just talked over me. Um, I wasn't able to actually engage in much of a conversation, even though it was about me and my health. And he said, look, at this point, she's only on a maintenance program and I can't tell you how long she'll survive for at this rate. And he said, I really think you should stop all her treatment now because it's killing her. So he sent us off to have a coffee and he was like, I'm going to give you an hour to come back, have a coffee, come back to me and we'll decide. So not much time is it to decide what your faith is for the rest of your life before your 30th birthday. But we went down to a coffee shop. There wasn't much chat, only I said, I'm not giving up and that's it. And they agreed and we went back up and said, look, we'll just keep biting and we'll see what happens. So I was eventually um, sent home to die and my parents were just caring for me. And my mom, I suppose, was really kind of struggling with the fact that she was with me, I suppose, 24 seven, doing everything for me, because I couldn't do anything at this point. We had no medical team coming in, no home help. They did everything uh, for me. So she actually rang um, a GP one day, but um, they weren't there, luckily for me. And there was somebody else there in their place and she eventually decided to take the appointment and go in. And she just explained that she was struggling to cope with what was happening with me and that she was, I suppose, watching me die. And the person there took out, um, do you know the prescriptions? Do you know the way there are printed prescriptions now? When she ripped it off the printer and she uh, wrote Matthew Lennon and his mobile number on the back of the prescription and she said, look, if he can't help her, nobody will at this stage. This was uh, the doctor, the locum or whatever at, uh, that your mom spoke with, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, yeah. So it was a bit of a, a long journey coming from being a super fit, healthy athlete to uh, needing assistance to walk around your house. Um, so mom came home told me about Matthew. She was like, will you ring him? And I said, yeah, rang him straight away. And I can tell you it was a Friday and it was about this time six years ago. And I rang Matthew and I told him all the conditions that I had been diagnosed or misdiagnosed with, um, the different treatments that I have been on over the years. And he knew all about every one of them, all about the different medications I have been on. And we had a long chat on the phone and I went to see him on the Monday and I was carried in, um, miserable with the cold um, because it didn't matter if I was sitting on top of a fire, he just couldn't heat me up. There was, I suppose the blood wasn't circulating and for whatever reason. And uh, Matthew's clinic was full at the time and uh, I sat there and was going to have to wait my turn, but I don't think the people in the waiting room really wanted to wait with me. Um, I would have looked anorexic looking and I'm very, very bad. 
that you uh, people went and got Matthew and said, look, will you take that girl in before she before she dies? Wow. That's like I said, when I heard this story, I'm like, oh, wow, that's just fast. Just an absolutely amazing story. So you got the your mom got the uh, the, the quote unquote prescription from her GP to send you to, yeah. to Matthew. That was six years ago. And here you are thriving and survive, surviving and thriving. Uh, how did it feel when you first started to feel better? I suppose in my first appointment um, with Matthew, we went through the details. I suppose my mom went through most of it with him. But the funny thing was, um, in that state that we described, um, Matthew actually asked me to jog on the spot. <laughs> so I don't know if he was testing my thickness or what level I would go to to stay alive, but uh, I did it. And I started to jog on the spot and uh, yeah, how would you have described, described me on the first day you met me? <laughs> well, emaciated. Uh, six stone weight, cap pulled down over your eyes uh, and trembling with the cold. Um, <clears throat> uh, very, very, very weak uh, and uh, I think uh, looking back uh, on the uh, situation I would have thought look this lady is in serious trouble uh, and I'm surprised that she's here and not uh, in the hospital and uh, but anyway uh, we we looked at the uh, situation and I think uh, I pointed out uh, that uh, your thyroid without any previous knowledge uh, was uh, shutting down your organs. Uh, and uh, I think you probably said, look, well, my thyroid has been tested, but uh, everything showed okay. But uh, Professor Austin Darrell said, look, uh, it's your thyroid. And uh, uh, I thought, yeah, well, that's pinpoint accuracy uh, there. Mm -hmm. uh, and we started to to work together. Uh, I remember, uh, and I'm not sure uh, if you do, that when I put my hands uh, towards you, that you would literally fall oh, over. Yeah. And uh, your mum or uh, some of your family were there uh, to support you. This is the energy or some of the energy that's perhaps uh, used and can be felt maybe only by the very, very sick, by those who are uh, uh, very, very sick, but maybe others can feel it as well. I'm not sure. Everyone is different. Everyone has a different met metabolic rate. So therefore you felt it and uh, were, uh, I, uh, as I see it, uh, we had a short session of maybe 15 or 20 minutes and you were 
literally falling asleep or deaded, as it were, and uh, you had to be uh, taken home and the after effect would be maybe tiredness or fatigue or, or whatever. Yeah. And this was, of course, the um, healing taking place. Uh, and I think you came back uh, maybe a couple of days later or whatever, and we continued the uh, healing. And when I looked at you for the first time, I could see your life force was, uh, I suppose, wasn't really there. Yeah. And the person's etheric field is the field that tells you about the strength of the person, the life force. The etheric field, the auric field, and what have you, and for those who can tune into it, and hundreds and thousands of people perhaps can, and they have equipment that's able to do that today, maybe as well. I'm not sure if it's in operation, but maybe it will. But I could feel that your life force. This is, uh, I suppose, a way that uh, healers or uh, me as a healer would uh, gauge your uh, health, mm -hmm. the state of your health. And yours was uh, organs shutting down, uh, life force uh, very, very, very low. Uh, um, I suppose I couldn't breathe or anything at the point that I met Matthew first. So I couldn't take a deep breath or I couldn't yawn. Um, I was in extreme pain from head to toe. So like I couldn't even touch my own face without being in pain. Um, so it was extremely, extremely difficult. Um, so, yeah. And uh, you'd been on Vioxx. Uh, was it, uh, were you, or all in? All in, uh, originally. Yes, uh, for shoulder pain and what have you, and I believe uh, that there may have been quite uh, serious side effects. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, all in is uh, well, it's on off the, to market on now the market and it's at actually, the moment, yeah. but uh, you were very, very, very sick. And as I worked with you, I could sense uh, that uh, there's the slight improvement here. Life force is improving in uh, the area and it's extending from the body when in fact it was stuck to the body. The life force will be an emanation from the uh, action of the cell and the organs and what have you. And uh, also uh, I could feel from your aura that you were improving. Mm. And even slight improvement and then on a roller coaster for a couple of days and uh, back again, we worked extensively with you over the uh, weeks. And uh, I remember you used to say to me, Pachu, do I have Lyme disease? And I would say, well, look, if you've been diagnosed with Lyme disease, then you must have Lyme disease. <laughs> but again, on the other hand, <laughs> you were diagnosed with kidney and liver problems, and I'm not sure if you had all of that. But anyway, 
that the important thing is you started to improve over the uh, days and what have you. And you used to say, well, look, will I be able to play in the county final, which would be uh, a sporting event, maybe two or three months down the... Uh, ten months. Ten months, okay. Uh, and... Uh, it's I, only the start of the year. I was dying at this point and... We, our team was only getting back training. Of course, I was skipping on ahead <laughs> to be back. And I thought, well, look, I can never answer that question because if you go out on the field there and you have uh, sudden death syndrome or whatever, then it ends it all and I have to take the responsibility for giving you the okay, but I never gave it to you. I never said that it's okay <laughs> to play. You took that on your uh, on board yourself, which is fair enough. And you, both of you, actually have uh, touched on a couple of stuff that I want to lead into right now. Um, Gracie, you said some of your organs were actually starting to shut down. Was it like a sequence of events, like uh, the liver started, then the kidneys, then this, then that? Um. To be honest, it was hard to know which, what the sequence was because they treated everything kind of in a singular fashion. You'd have to go to one consultant about the kidney. You would have to go to one about the heart. Um, I was diagnosed with a blockage in my heart and then um, my notes went missing from the hospital. Um, I was told I was going into liver failure at 23 and that I was going to have a horrible death. And there was nothing could be done at that point to be told that actually we think we gave you that we gave you the wrong uh, results that's belonged to somebody else. So to be left um, like that for an entire month was a very long time. Um, they thought I had cancer on numerous occasions. I would go in for a test into the hospital and going in to theater or whatever for biopsies, they would say, look, we will tell you this evening if you have cancer or if it's terminal or whatever. So it was always, the, seemed to be always an extreme case. It went from being, we've no idea what's wrong to an extreme case to pulling back from that and moving on. So I suppose over time, everything just started to go. And when you're that level of sick, I don't think you really know what is actually wrong at that point. Nothing seems to work and that becomes nearly the norm. Like this was 10 years of never feeling right not being able to walk around your kitchen table, not being able to go to the bathroom because your kidneys didn't work or your bowels didn't work. And, and nobody paid attention to that. I don't think I was even ever asked, uh, did my bowels function properly? Like, yeah. so it just became the way of life for me. It was one big struggle. Um, Only reason why I ask is because uh, in my past, maybe like, seven, eight years ago, I started studying ancient uh, Chinese uh, acupressure and mm -hmm. medicine. Yeah. And when you look at the meridian, meridians and the organs that you're saying, and at the end part where you're feeling cold when you saw Matthew, everything mm -hmm. starts to make sense because when you have the urinary uh, meridian block, it will affect another meridian and that will in turn affect another and another and another and another. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
So for me, I suppose, when I looked at it, it was always back to the point of the operation. That which, procedure which, where my legs were opened. Which there are three meridians that run through them. Through them. Yes. Two so major affected, meridians. Yeah, sure, sure. Hence the reason I had urinary and kidney problems and then diagnosed with kidney disease. And then uh, before that, a tumor on my kidney. Exactly. Nobody ex could explain the weight loss, um, loss of appetite, yeah, the chronic pains that man manifested from the operation. Exactly. Matthew, when, in the beginning of the, uh, uh, the interview, you said that uh, organs give off colors. Yes, vibration, yes, is color. Again, falling back on the ancient Chinese medicine, each meridian has its own separate color. Could you identify by the color that the person is most prominent or less prominent to identify which organ might be, might need Affected. a little help? Okay, well, uh, if we look at the uh, simple Chinese methods, if we look at the thumb here, which will be the meridian to the lungs, large intestine, pericardium, triple burner, triple warmer, cardiac, and small intestine. That's just basic uh, rudimentary stuff. Well, uh, obviously, uh, if uh, you as a practitioner uh, feel or sense that this meridian is blocked, you know that there's a problem perhaps with the lung or the large intestine or the pericardium or whatever. If you look at the feet with the, from the big toe with the liver, the spleen, the uh, uh, digestive area on the next two toes and then the gallbladder, uh, the um, uh, urinary, uh, kidney and urinary on the little toe. And so the Chinese had a great method of diagnosis. Mine would be uh, somewhat, although I'm basically familiar with all of those, and like you said earlier, taking away the fascia and disturbing the meridians which lead to the organs is, in my opinion, well... Barbaric. Yes, well, I can say that because it was done to me. <laughs> okay, okay. And yes, uh, each organ resonates on a frequency that gives off uh, uh, its different colors. For example, the liver has maybe five or 600 different functions in the body. And so those functions would be different and the colors would be different, the vibrations would be different to the spleen uh, or the kidneys or uh, whatever. And so the uh, vibrations from those organs can be felt and detected by someone who's sensitive enough to do it. And I'm one of those. And the machine that we spoke about earlier using Kerlin photography, I think has the potential 
to do this also. Because when you look at MRI, it's magnetic resonance, maybe in a different form to what we're talking about, but still magnetic resonance. Interesting. Um, the other part of the healing that you do, does this fall in line with uh, the ancient Druids? Yes. Yes. How so? Because like I said, like I'm very extremely fascinated when it comes to ancient forms of healing. Yes. And I know yes, that course. the Druids have such a rich history with it. Yes, of course. Yes, and they used herbs and incantations and uh, whatever. They used the old healing wells as well. I'm not sure if you're familiar with... Uh, the water being used in the uh, ceremonies with the herbs and the druids? Not really. Okay, well, uh, across Ireland, we have uh, wells uh, that were used since pagan times and used by the druids to cure certain ailments. Uh, there's hundreds and thousands of them. I think there's a book... Uh, written about the ancient yeah. wells of Ireland yeah. and the pagan rituals that used to take place uh, uh, during those uh, prehistoric times. But, of course, uh, when Christianity came about and uh, they obviously uh, made their own claims about the pagan wells. Uh, and so... Uh, there was uh, a little bit of a changeover there. How that came about or how it works now, I'm not too sure. But uh, I suppose if uh, Christianity uh, denounces uh, uh, Druidism and paganism, uh, I'm not sure how the two uh, correlate uh, at the moment. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, the old uh, wells were used and, uh, you know, they could uh, heal very, very quickly. Uh, and I suppose you're familiar with some of the Indian healers. Uh, they can literally uh, heal a wound, uh, you know, within minutes. And some of the old uh, Aborigines uh, could do the same. Um, and so they had techniques uh, that uh, were used uh, in order to, uh, to heal. And of course, uh, we're looking at the Druids and the battles and what have you and all the injuries. And of course, they had to be cured very, very quickly in order to get back onto the battlefield. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, they worked very much with herbs and they, you know, we have the sacred herbs of, the seven sacred herbs of the Druids. And we have the 12 different herbs uh, of uh, the Indians and uh, in Ayurvedic medicine. Uh, and so all countries, I suppose, uh, in prehistoric times were able to heal their uh, people and uh, maybe uh, I do this in a different way to most although I'm familiar with herbs my daughter is a medical herbalist she does uh, all of that but um, 
uh, herbs were used, of course, uh, before uh, the advent of uh, modern medicine. And for urinary problems, we use motherwort. Motherwort is an old herb, and of course, if anyone is listening here and thinking about going out and picking motherwort, uh, get advice from your doctor before you take any uh, medicine uh, or herbs of any kind. Uh, and if he's not familiar with it, then find someone that is. Uh, but your doctor is the best one to consult on this. And for uh, problems, uh, also we use barley water. Barley water uh, is used to clear the kidneys, to clear the ureters, the urinary tract, the bladder, and what have you to uh, increase the flow of fluids and to evacuate the toxicity from the body. Also, a really, really good herb, and it, there's uh, people who would uh, benefit greatly if they use dandelion. Dandelion is one of the great herbs that's uh, used for uh, urinary purposes. It clears the liver just the same as milk thistle. It opens the spleen and the uh, pancreas. Uh, and uh, it's a very, very good herb for uh, general use. And you can go out there and pick your dandelions, uh, not too close to the road, of course, to avoid the toxicity from uh, the uh, fumes and what have you, uh, but pick um, away from the uh, road. But make sure that you know what you're doing as well. And if you, again, have to get advice uh, from someone who knows, whether it be your doctor or otherwise, uh, don't just go out and pick herbs haphazardly and take them because it might have conflict with uh, your uh, doctor's medicine or whatever. Or you might pick the wrong mushroom. Exactly. Yeah. You might be seeing leprechauns. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't want to pick the wrong mushroom because if the leprechaun lives under the mushroom, then you'd be destroying his household. That's true, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that we can laugh sometimes, you know, um, yeah. especially in these uncertain times. Um, of course. A big part about why I'm doing what I'm doing is to help people uh, cope with the mental health aspect of this entire uncertainty of lockdown, freedom, lockdown, freedom, lockdown, freedom, and fear, 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 fear. How have you been able to help people in such an uncertain time in history? Well, I suppose uh, we can't uh, necessarily interfere with the program that's set out uh, for the general public uh, about uh, social distancing, masks, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, but uh, I feel that there are huge psychological problems uh, around all of this with uh, older people being separated from the families and what have you. And I couldn't help but... Um, uh, 
maybe uh, listening to some of the uh, reports that we had uh, recently uh, about uh, the side effects uh, uh, of uh, elderly people in homes having to uh, live uh, their lives without uh, family. And, uh, you know, we do an online service and uh, some of those uh, elderly uh, ladies and gents don't have uh, or aren't used to modern technology. But uh, they sometimes contact us and ask us to pray for them or to, to help and we uh, do the best that we can in those circumstances. But I suppose a lot of our work is in that department, say even before COVID or before the pandemic yeah. or whatever, even in my own case, um, going to Matthew was probably the last roll of the dice. Um, I had only been given a couple of weeks to live and I had no nothing else. It was either give it a go or, or die. So most of our work is in that field, I suppose, on a daily basis, where you're listening to people or talking to people that have tried everything, um, but it maybe didn't work for them, and, and they're in dire straits. So it's what we do on, on a daily basis, whether it's to comfort them, to give them some hope, um, solace, anything. Yeah. Yeah, to... To keep them fighting. Um. I suppose it's um, very, very uh, difficult uh, to uh, help people uh, who are and have been abandoned, so to speak, to, from their families. And uh, while the nurses and doctors obviously can uh, help in the best way that they can, but it isn't a substitute for family um i was gonna ask uh, uh, i was gonna say um the thing with modern medicine is that it's not that it's not effective i think it's so potent that the body doesn't understand what to do with with it so it can't come with a symbiosis with it and it can't come to um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It can't come to a common, a commonality with it. Like if you look at what medicine is made of, it is made out of plants, but it's just jacked up so powerful that it will kill off anything. So I, I, I think that what you guys are doing with like natural medicines, I think that is more important because you're allowing the body to, um, come to symbiosis with whatever medicine that you're trying to introduce. Would you guys agree with that? Yes, indeed, uh, very much. Uh, if uh, I suppose uh, one takes uh, um, if we look at the action of the liver or the pancreas uh, or the spleen or what have you, if we give the right medicines or the right herbs uh, to repair those organs, uh, then uh, that's a very, very important. I believe that prevention is better than cure. I believe that if uh, you put water and petrol into your diesel car, it won't go. And I believe also that if you put in the wrong 
food in here and food should be your medicine. That's provided that it's not synthesized, provided that it's not sprayed with insecticides and herbicides and pesticides and what have you to uh, kill the bees, the insects. And if enough of those pesticides are taken in by humans, they must have serious uh, damage uh, or cause serious damage to the body. Well, it was just in, uh, even the consultant said to me, he was like, stop the treatment. It's going to like basically kill you faster. I was on so much treatment at the time that it was killing me. We didn't know which was worse at that stage. Yeah. 28 tablets a day, IV every second day, plus painkillers on top of that, that were just thrown in on the mix. You know, obviously, you know, Ikea. <laughs> Um, but the large bags of Ikea, that's how much medication I was on. And eventually my own decision was to uh, put it in the fire. My own. Yeah, decision. but when you look at it from a medical perspective, you, uh, there's a problem with your lungs or your kidney, for example. The doctor can't do anything for you unless he gives you medicine for that purpose or to try to repair that. Yeah, that's it. There's nothing else he can do. No, no, no. I mean, this is no. basically... And uh, it's done on an individual basis. There's no entire body or we look at everything safer. Example, in my case, it was each organ had to be looked at or consulted with somebody else. Yeah, but I, Sorry, I just wanted to say I'm not knocking med, uh, doctors and medical hospital workers. I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying that maybe we can come to a, uh, an understanding because there's a lot of doctors out there that I wouldn't say a lot. There's a few doctors out there that are so um, uh, they have tunnel vision syndrome and say anything outside my scope yeah. doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I think that's the wrong way about going stuff. Well, yes. Yeah. I suppose it's how they're trained, maybe. And, yeah. Uh, but well, I suppose uh, the acupuncturist is trained in a certain area, uh, area to detect and uh, make the diagnosis through uh, the meridians. And uh, if someone, for example, detects uh, that there's uh, diabetes, for example, and uh, in uh, the uh, patient uh, and uh, obviously uh, the insulin uh, would be the answer or glu uh, glucophage or uh, whatever uh, but uh, prevention I suppose from diabetes would be celery if uh, you take celery celery juice or better still the organic celery it has sodium alkaloids, which keeps the eyelids of Langrahans open and will keep the production of insulin improved or balanced. Uh, and that doesn't mean to say that all you guys or any of you guys out there with diabetes uh, should take uh, celery at this stage. If you want to take it, consult with your doctor. But I believe that prevention then is better than cure. And if we have, uh, if our food is our medicine, add a little bit of celery. Awesome. 
Uh, have you guys noticed an increase in mental health uh, over the last eight, nine months? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, all the doctors will tell us that. Well, not all of them, but some of the doctors and some of the podcasts and what have you uh, that we listen to. You can't uh, get too much on TV uh, about this, but uh, may some of the podcasts will say, uh, you know, uh, the obvious reasons or for obvious reasons, uh, people are being restricted, the way of life is being changed, they don't have the freedom to go to the shop or whatever, and so we're uh, being uh, huddled into uh, corners and told to just stay there, and the biggest problem uh, that's being created, of course, is fear fear that uh, you're going to pick up the virus or spread it and uh, whatever. So I'm sure that that aspect is going to have serious side effects on the elderly. I think uh, more than just the elderly. Um, I think if people are not accustomed to and understand fear, I think those people are also going to be suffering as well because uh, yeah. I've been there myself many times uh, and didn't really get it until up until I got into martial arts what fear really is and it's just it's just like a catapult to escalate you to greater stuff if you understand what it is yeah but of course uh, without knowledge uh, it's you won't understand without teaching, without uh, having the knowledge of how to deal with it. Uh, you do uh, martial arts, uh, which gives you uh, an insight uh, into uh, what maybe uh, how to live or uh, how to conduct yourself or what have you. As you know, it's uh, obviously not for smashing someone up or whatever, but it does teach discipline and control and what have you, which is important, which makes it that you can think for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And make your own decisions. Uh, I remember living in London many, many years ago, and uh, I was into many, many different types of martial arts and what have you. I never get into fights or anything like that because uh, uh, sometimes, uh, well, in the past, I'm a reasonably good runner. I, I was, uh, but uh, I could always come back if I wanted to. <laughs> and it gives you uh, the knowledge and perhaps training as to how to conduct your life. It really does. It also teaches you um, why not to fight. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Why, why should I not put this person in the hospital? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With this whole COVID, I don't know if you want to believe the COVID nonsense or not. That's on whoever's listening. That is your decision. You can believe it or not. Uh, how have you guys found it challenging and how has it, how have you been able to rethink yourselves, reinvent yourselves to come into com 
not I wouldn't say compliance, but more in tune with how this whole thing is going going around. Like trying to help people. I suppose when we were um we had ten or twelve clinics in Ireland and we were treating people all around the world online, um pre-COVID days. So it was something that we were very used to and what you did on a daily basis, treating people at distance. Um, so for us, it was quite an easy transition and to switch over to online treatments. Or, so it was probably more of a fact of letting people get used to the idea that they weren't going to see him in person um, in the way they expected to. Um, and the results are just as good and um, his treatment is as effective over video call or over the phone so yeah i suppose it's more difficult maybe for you is it with intensity wise well i suppose uh obviously uh uh if it's mandatory or whatever to wear a mask going into uh the store or the doctor or whatever uh, and maybe rather than create uh a scene uh it might be just easier to uh wear a mask or uh whatever but uh you know you can be in conflict every day of your life if uh you can uh uh, go your own uh, way and say, look, I'm not wearing it, and then you refuse, and then there's a scene, and then, look, it's uh, a nasty situation. So, uh, obviously, we adapt. Uh, you know, we don't uh, create a scene. I mean, earlier today, uh, we were at... Um, uh, a big store and uh, you know there's three or four guys there saying everyone has to wear masks and and we're fine with that but i think it can be very very difficult for some to adjust to all of that uh you know uh we could say then uh, on the other hand that if wearing this mask creates a huge toxicity and this thing is poison because I'm breathing in and out uh, my uh, uh, and uh, it's actually poisoning uh, our uh, lungs and what have you. I think uh, there's a court case now. Some of the lawyers have uh, uh, brought about a court case uh, saying that uh, the masks are causing brain damage. Because, sorry, oh, oh, they actually had one in Germany and they won the case. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and uh, the restriction in uh, oxygen or uh, the toxicity breathing uh, in and out, uh, the poisons, uh, is causing brain damage. And I think they won the case in Germany last week or, yeah. So I suppose our biggest problem is um, our phones and communication channels have all been kind of compromised. So for us, that's a, a difficult one to get over. Um, it would take maybe people a week to get through to me. Um, yeah. 
it'll tell them my phone doesn't exist, for example, or yeah, it'll ring somewhere else, but not with me. So they're the bigger challenges we have to face on a daily basis. Well, I don't think that we should be uh, or uh, create a challenge for anyone. We're only trying to help a few people out there. And if they get benefit from the work that we do, fine. Right, everyone doesn't, but we certainly won't do anyone any harm. And that's the key thing. Never. Yeah. And it's somebody's uh, choice whether they want to come this route or not. It's, it's up to them if they decide. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we're going to be wrapping up the show now. And I always ask all my guests these uh, six or seven questions at the end just to get their insights uh on everything and uh let's start it off so with the increase of people suffering from depression from the lockdown what would be the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up mm. is uh, uh do you want me to take it yeah right uh yeah uh, this is, is uh, very, very difficult. I suppose we have to put people into different categories here. Uh, what would affect uh, the young people uh, most of all would be uh, the fact that they can't go out and have a ball with their uh, friends at 16 and 18 and 20 and uh, live life a bit as they should. Uh, if they are restricted, obviously it's going to have some psychological effects and they're going to have to create some uh, new ideas or whatever to deal with the situation. With uh, the uh, middle age, I suppose uh, maybe they're the ones that uh, can uh, go out uh, and walk the dog or uh, settle for uh, a couple of drinks or whatever. Uh, and uh, maybe uh, the pressures at home can be horrendous, particularly because of crowding and what have you, and uh, this can create a lot of uh, friction in families when they're uh, closed uh, together without too much freedom. And of course, the elderly people in the homes, they are a different matter. They have deep psychological problems, perhaps, because uh, they're on lockdown. They don't understand, some of them, why their per, uh, families are not visiting and they feel left out. I think they need help and counselling and uh, someone to explain to them that this is the way it is at the moment, this is what's happening. And, uh, you know, for someone uh, in uh, their... Uh, uh, latter years uh, to be missing their uh, children and their grandchildren, I think, is horrendous. Uh, I don't know what solution uh, w one could offer uh, here other than uh, counselling or advice uh, on the matter. Communication, though, is key. Yeah. Yeah, but on the other hand, uh, you know, you don't expect a 90-year-old to be able to 
you know, uh, connect with uh, family and what have you when you can only see them through a window with that. Oh, yeah, but I mean, you can still just talk. Yeah. 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 Oh, to be honest with you, I know 30 year olds that don't know how to use their cell phone, so. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where do you see your practice in the next five years? Um, I was hoping that uh, in creating the foundation uh, that this uh, would uh, lead us uh, to a new dimension in our lives. Uh, to be able to uh, maybe uh, provide a little shelter, uh, food, clothing, and sh uh, heat, healing, healing uh, as well, sorry, uh, would uh, be the route that we'd uh, like to take. Um, it's uh we think fantastic to be able to uh perhaps kick it off here from uh poland because uh this is where it all started and, uh, and we have businesses or people that want to come on board and uh, sponsor the foundation to yeah. kick it off so as matthew was alluding to the four pillars of the foundation will be to feed to clothe shelter and healing of course um, being number one um, that's what the foundation will stand for and it is an international foundation so it's not going to be just uh, a head office is just here in Poland at the moment um, but we will kick it off here we will be speaking to the local mayor and different people to see where we will what do they feel that their community actually needs first and foremost and and we'll take it from there and then take it uh, to different countries so we've also been offered to go to Ghana and do some work in Ghana. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where it goes and uh, hopefully lots of people will get benefit and help over the coming years. Very nice. Uh, what about you guys personally? Where do you see you, yourselves in the next five years? Well, that's a very, very <laughs> difficult uh, one since we can't guarantee that we're going to be on the planet five minutes from now, but we would hope uh, that uh, the foundation would uh, kick off and that we could uh, help or offer some help to those uh, in need. And we'd like to get maybe uh, linked up with uh, people who have uh, already uh, established uh, foundations and who are out there uh, helping others. And the problem that uh, we've had, I suppose, uh, with some of the uh, uh, foundations and whatever is 90% uh, uh, of the uh, monies is uh, going on administration and uh, only uh, a small amount going to those in need. So we thought it would be nice to reverse that type of uh, situation and uh, those in need should uh, get, uh, you know, get the benefits. The benefits. Yeah. Uh, and not just 10%, uh, you know. So. Or in some cases, 1%. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
I know yeah. one one company that I no longer um, give money to only gives if you only give only gives one percent to the people that need the help. Oh my god! So no longer. So we want to do the complete opposite of that. Well, do you still contribute to that no. Co company? No. no. Okay. Well. <laughs> no. Uh, neither would I. <laughs> So we'll share the foundation details with you and um, yeah, and you can share them with me. I, I, will post, I will post all your links uh, with the show notes. So, and uh, on my Facebook account, to, uh, my Facebook and social media, just to, uh, to just keep pushing this message out there as well, because uh, I think you guys are doing an, an amazing job. And I want this message to go out to at least my small little community. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> so I'd like to ask each of you this question. Uh, we'll start off with Matthew. If you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself a 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? Well, uh, I'd be uh, telling myself that uh, it's great to be 20. Uh, I love the freedom of uh, going out and doing sport and uh, to have the freedom to make my own decisions, to be able to uh, go into the dojo and do martial arts and what have you. Uh, and I believe that's not uh, possible anymore with uh, restrictions. So yes, uh, freedom, freedom would be my goal. Awesome. To practice what I've been used to all my life. That's amazing. Grace, what about you? Easy. Don't have the operation. <laughs> find, <laughs> find the nearest healer that can heal shin splints. <laughs> <laughs> and save herself a life of <laughs> torture and misery for 12 years. <laughs> Was that a quick answer? That's a quick answer. That is a very quick answer. Uh, so apparently, if you looking back, would you change anything? Oh, no. I think, I suppose, um, yeah, I spent 12 years being ill, but it's changed me as a person. I appreciate life. Um, I don't think I would be doing this job with Matthew and helping a number of people. I would be climbing the race rat in business and trying right. to get rat race, trying to get up as high as I could, which I was trying to do. Um, so no, it's given me a totally different perspective of life. And I suppose being there and knowing that it was life or death, that there's always hope out there and that you just have to keep fighting and uh, looking forward. What about you, Matthew? Well, uh, yeah, I couldn't do this uh, job without the support of uh, Gracie here. And I believe that <clears throat> the 12 years of sickness uh, has been instrumental in her, uh, I suppose, having a deep understanding of people's illness. When the phone rings at 12 o'clock at night or at seven in the morning or four o'clock in the morning, there's always someone to answer. And uh, this is uh, her good self, of course. And she has uh, an innate ability, I think, 
to deal with sick uh, and uh, people, uh, patients uh, in trouble uh, and uh, has been complimented many, many times uh, on this. And she's a young lady that just gets on with the job. There's things to do, it's done. You never have to uh, tell her or whatever. Uh, so I couldn't do this job in the way that we've done it for the past few years without her help, because it's been on a, a huge scale. We've had hundreds and hundreds of people to be dealt with, even on, for an open day. Uh, that's an open day, it's a free day, of course, and we'd have 20 or 30,000 people, and everyone has to be uh, perhaps um, informed as to uh, what to do here, how this thing is uh, conducted, and no one better than Gracie herself to look after that end. And so. I wouldn't be alive only for him, so. <laughs> so I'm glad you're doing what you do. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what keep you guys? What keeps you guys up at night? Uh, sorry, I beg your pardon. What, what keeps, keeps you what keeps both of you up at night? Working with sick people. Yeah. Mm. No joke. Mm. Yeah, we could get a call at one, two, three in the morning. Somebody's been in an accident. Um, we had somebody quite recently, a young girl who was having difficulty with her pregnancy and they thought that she was either going to lose the baby or going to, um, was going to be premature delivery. And I think we were up most of the night dealing with that case. Yeah, from about three o'clock in the morning to about seven uh, and uh, we kept in phone contact all the way through uh, to the hospital, to the scan, to the doctor, to on the way home, and uh, whatever. So yes, uh, and I think we had a couple of calls. Uh, one this morning, someone fell down the stairs or something. Am yeah. I right? And yeah, yeah. someone else with. Uh, so we sit in the car maybe for seven hours, driving north, south, east, and west. There's no radio. There's no time for radio. Gracie is either on the phone answering calls or whatever. And uh, of course, this is pre-COVID, uh, but uh, things have changed uh, since. And I suppose... Uh, I suppose we, the lack of hours, yeah. And um, for us, I suppose we're putting more into the healing work. We don't have the seven hours traveling or uh, the mad rush, rush, rush all the time. We have to be somewhere. Um, we're finishing a clinic at 12. Somebody else at the bottom of the country is looking for a hospital visit. Um, somebody has been given hours to live and they want us there immediately. So this time now is focused on healing and helping people and helping as many as we can. Well, we've uh, spent, I think, uh, maybe 20, 30, uh, 40 hours a week driving. on the road. And people would expect that we're uh, maybe south of the country and they want uh, someone who's uh, very ill at the north and that's seven hour journey without getting out of the uh, car and uh, you know, we don't have uh, uh, any uh, 
faster means of transport other than a car. So, and they would expect in some cases just just get here. Yeah. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, just be here. And you, you can't do that. Oh, oh, we I know. did it for as long as we could. Oh, I know. Being a personal trainer and having to be going uh, house to house and training people in their homes was not a fun thing to do. No, no, of course. Yeah. Uh, where can people find more about you? Um, our Facebook page is probably a lot more up-to-date information. So Matthew Lennon Healer on Facebook, um, because we used to do in the past a lot of video testimonials with patients, we obviously can't do that anymore. So most of our testimonials for the last six months, is it? Okay. Are all texts. So I would receive the text or the recommendation um, or the feedback from a patient and I would just take a picture and put it up. So, but, and we also have a website, matthewlennonhealer.com, but you'll see, Lots of information, lots of amazing testimonials of from patients from, with various illnesses, um, extremely serious cases. I suppose we have about uh, a thousand videos uh, up there with people all giving their testimony themselves, their own version of. We have no input in that. No. <clears throat> but what I'd like to say uh, here to conclude, uh, and I think. Uh, you'd like to get rid of us uh, shortly. Everything. No, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was uh, just concerned about the clock there with you and time and what have you, but uh, everything that we've told you here and that we've discussed on this program and everything in our uh, on our Facebook, YouTube, uh, all the videos are true, as it happened. This is important. There is nothing added. These testimonies are true. We get an odd crank saying, look, how much did you pay Joe Blog here to go on this? Well, there's a thousand Joe Blogs, and we didn't pay any of them. So... Uh, you know, but our uh, page and our Facebook page and our website is very authentic. There's no performance. Um, we didn't put in a production. We've nothing. It's just raw um, yeah. and on the spot. Some people have said, "Oh, you should get a production and you should do this and you should have correct lighting," but that's not needed. What is important is the patient's story, how they were before their treatment, and how they are now. And that's all that should matter. If we did a production to tell a story, who would believe it? They would say, oh, well, you definitely created that. We both have the ability to do that. And if we wanted to put on a production, we could do it in the morning. And we had no problem with that. But this is the route we have chosen to take. We want to work with real people and uh, we want our work to be natural. But just imagine a patient for the first time yeah. who's been perhaps very ill for a while uh, to be shoved in front of uh, a camera and what have you, they just freeze straight away. And so we don't do that. We 
do our uh, video or just work with a phone and, or whatever, and it's just um, simple and easy for them. And uh, people don't feel under pressure. Yeah. Well, um, I felt it for myself. So uh, last week I've been, ha or the week before I was having this weird headache, felt like somebody had drilled a hole in my head and just started poking my brain with it, with something. And mm -hmm. when I started doing the, the, when I listened to the recording of your, of your uh, free thing, I could just feel it just like someone pulling that pain away. So yeah, I felt it mm -hmm. firsthand. So I know this is, this is legit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, well, hundreds of people tell us this, that I feel you pulling something away from me. I remember uh, working in uh, up uh, the north of Ireland, and there was an old professor there, and he came to me with a particular problem, and uh, his wife was a doctor, and she sat in the corner uh, while I was treating uh, Professor Joe, and he said to me, Matthew, you're blowing on me. And I said, well, no, I'm not. Well, he says, I think you are. And so there was a newspaper, and I took up the newspaper and just did my little bit of work, and then there was silence for about three minutes. And he says, you're not blowing on me. What are you doing? And so I went on to tell him about uh, the uh, work that I do and what have you, and his wife in, sat in the corner and she said, is that right, Professor? He said, we know nothing about his work. We, you need to love it, you need to record it and what have you. And I said, Professor, I don't have time to do that. But anyway, everything went okay for a little while. And I treated him maybe for four or five different sessions, but I'm not sure how many. And on one morning he came in uh, with his wife and uh, I held my hands out like this in front of him and he said, I can see colours coming from your fingers. I said, really? Yeah, he said, I see blue, for example, there, green, yellow, and oh, there's nothing from that one. Sorry? No, no, I'm just showing uh, John. Uh, and uh, I said, look, are you sure you can see the colours? Would you tell your wife what you see here? And she looks at him in amazement as if he's lost the plot. And yes, he says, I definitely see these colours. And I said, three or four weeks ago, Professor, you told me that I was cheating. And now you're telling me that there's colours coming from my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, yeah, I swear I can see colors from your fingers. So. There's definitely something there. Um, well, like that, that little something can be very, very hard to describe when, uh, you know, it can't be viewed under a microscope. It can't really be monitored, or maybe it can, uh, but... Uh, they created uh, cages and stuff like that in experimental work many years ago uh, in America and uh, what have you, but I don't know how much progress has been made in that direction 
uh, as far as detecting the colours that old professor was able to see. So uh, it can be very difficult for uh, a scientist, for example, to be able to say, well, look, you're describing healing here. Now, uh, the person that you're healing is down there, uh, 10 metres away. How, in the name of the good Lord, can you do healing at that distance? Well, maybe on different dimensions, there isn't such a thing as distance. Well, I did it through a recording, which you guys were in Poland and I'm in Toronto. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you know, there are going to be uh, people out there who study this and who understand all of this and will accept what you uh, what we talk about. But there are others going to be uh, going to say, well, "Look, all hocus pocus. That doesn't exist. There's no such thing. If doctor can't cure you or uh, therapist can't cure you or whatever, uh, it's impossible for someone across the world." How can this connection be? Well, a science progresses. And maybe in a, a little while or a hundred years or 50 years or whatever, science will improve. And find out a little bit more uh, about this type of work. My daughter is a scientist and she always says, science hasn't reached the stage where you are at the moment. Maybe she was looking for 50 euro or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matthew and Grace, thank you so much for what you guys do. Wow. Uh, you guys definitely have something extremely powerful that you guys are putting out into the world. And I'm so grateful for people like you and for you two specifically. Uh, thank you so much. And... I uh, definitely want you guys back to come back. Well, we'd love to. We'd love to, and thank you for uh, having us. Yeah. We uh, appreciate uh, everything that uh, you're uh, doing, and uh, obviously uh, we uh, look forward to uh, chatting again. Awesome. And um, just to recap everything, uh, for the people out there, I will be putting all the links to Matthew and Grace in the show notes below or on the, or what, or whatever post that you guys may be finding this on just so you guys have easy access to these two amazing people. Uh, going through hard times is just a test. What you need to know is that when you get out of whatever you're going through, you will be stronger than ever before and you don't need to go through it alone. Always know that you are not alone. Stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories that are just like yours. Until then, to everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or a good night, wherever you may be in this crazy world. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share this with your friends and family members. If you know of someone who is suffering from depression, please share this with them as well, as it may help them realize that there is help out there and that they are not alone. Also, please be so kind and give us a five-star rating on wherever you may be listening and some comments as your feedback is highly appreciated. Thank you again for supporting our mission to speak out 
and find solutions about men's mental health issues. And stay tuned for more amazing stories from real people that are just like you.